Welcome to the Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our daily reading and meditation on the gospel. I am James Thomas. Today is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023, Tuesday of the octave of Easter. Our reading today is from the gospel according to St. John. Mary Magdalene stayed outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and then reported what he had told her. So this is a very exciting reading for many, many reasons. I'd like to go through it first with an eye to some of the technicalities, and then secondly with an eye to who this person is of Mary Magdalene and what she might be feeling and what we can hopefully uh, benefit from by just meditating on her and, and what she's been going through the past couple days. Um, I love the fact that we often, well, I don't love the fact that we have to use this quote, but it is a clever thing. Very often we hear it said, they have taken my Lord and I don't know where they laid him. Those are the words of Mary Magdalene. I used to say that all the time in college when I would go and visit a college chapel that for some odd reason they had taken the Blessed Sacrament out and put it somewhere else, put our Lord maybe in a side chapel or something. And uh, even with a lot of church renovations over the past few decades, Uh, This is often being said, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. He's supposed to be in the tabernacle at the center of the church, but somebody thought it was a good idea to not make Jesus the center of things anymore, so to stick him somewhere else. Anyway, joking aside, uh, it's such a powerful reading. Mary Magdalene, she's the first one there. She loves our Lord so much because he loved her so much. And so she is the one keeping vigil. She sees there's an empty tomb. Jesus is not there. She sees two angels, but I guess doesn't realize that they're angels to still be making a fuss and not just to totally trust at this point. She sees Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. Is it because he's covered up in some way or he's maybe behind a tree or something? Or rather, is it because Jesus has been transfigured? Now, they say there's a couple theories behind if she really could see his face and still didn't recognize him. Well, why would that be? I guess one reason would be he was, as the Bible said he would be in the book of the prophet Isaiah, uh, people would not recognize him because he would be beaten so badly. He still bears the marks of his passion. We don't know exactly how that affects his face, 
but we do know that when he appears to the apostles, he shows them the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. So one question we have to ask is, well, then what did his face look like if he still bears the wounds of his crucifixion? Yet at the same time, we believe he has a resurrected body. So there is a beauty there. There is a transcendence there, even though Jesus still does bear all the wounds. And does he bear all the wounds or maybe just the holes in the hands and the feet? We don't really know. But we do know, yes, Jesus is different now. Jesus is in a glorified body. Jesus has endured the worst possible torture, suffering, and death. And now he is on his way to glory. I mean, he's on his way to heaven, literally. He's back here on earth in a glorified body. It shows us what we're all called to. We believe our bodies will rise again. It's just that because of our sins, we have to endure the grave and possible decay and things like that. But we believe in the end, yes, we will have a resurrected body. Jesus never sinned. His body does not have to undergo decay. So Jesus, right off the bat, has a resurrected body. He can fly. He can walk through walls. He can appear and disappear. Yet he can eat. He shows them his hands and his feet. They have real holes in them, even though it no longer hurts. He's able to walk. He's able to do whatever he's doing. So there's a lot there, a lot there to meditate on. And then she realizes it's Jesus and he says, stop holding on to me. It's funny because, you know, you look at different translations. I know in our liturgy, we, we go back and forth with different translations. Every time a new translation comes out, we're wondering what the theological meaning is now. But I believe the original translation that goes back to St. Jerome, the Latin Vulgate, which of course... Before that was Greek, uh, I believe the original one said, stop holding on to me. In other words, let me go, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Some people over the ages, because of discrepancies and in interpretations, have thought it meant, well, you know, he can't be touched yet because he uh, still hasn't finished the job. But the reality is, I think the reality is, based on the original translation, Jesus is simply saying, you got to let me go because I got, I got somewhere I got to go right now. You know, when you're happy to see somebody and you give them a big hug and they're like, well, I, I got to go to the bathroom <laughs> or whatever. I got to do this. I got to do that. You got to let me go. I'll, I'll be back. Don't worry. And I, that's how I picture this. Mary sees him. Her joy is incredible. She wraps her arms around him. She runs. She hugs him. Maybe she even tried to tackle him. She was so excited to see him. And he says, you got to let me go because now I'm going to go see the father. I'm going to go open the gates of heaven. I mean, and that brings up another point. A lot of people believe that the ascension of Jesus into heaven takes place 40 days later. And it is true. Yes, he finally ascended to the Father 40 days after Easter. We call that Ascension Thursday, even though nowadays we've lost Thursday as the feast day, but that's another whole topic. Um, it's true. At the end of 40 days, he leaves this world in his physical form, the way that he was for those 33 years. Of course, he says, I will be with you always, and he remains with us in many ways. But in terms of being the God-man walking around here on earth after 40 days, he literally flies up into heaven. He flies up into the sky and he disappears from the sight of the apostles. So it's true, 40 days after his resurrection, that happens. But 
we believe, I mean, since the souls that Jesus freed up on Good Friday that were walking around Jerusalem are now no longer seen, well, it's because, yes, after the third day, he rose and then he went to the Father. He opened the gates of heaven. He connected us to heaven, to the Father. Jesus, by going to heaven, opens the gates of heaven. And now the gates of heaven are open as of Easter Sunday. He says it right here. I'm going to ascend to my Father. So the ascension into heaven begins on Easter Sunday and concludes 40 days later, in other words. It didn't start 40 days later. So yes, he lets he tells Mary, you got to let me go, which is just such a beautiful image. If Jesus was here, people often say, what would you say to Jesus if you saw him, if he was, you know, walked walked into your house, if he, well, you saw him on the street, if you knew that it was him, what would you do? I don't know that I could say anything to him that he doesn't already know because he reads my mind. I mean, in prayer, yeah, we, he, he wants us to tell him things anyway. So yes, in prayer, I'm already telling him everything. I don't know. So if I see him walking around, I don't know that that would be much different in terms of what I say. But one thing I think that I would do if I see Jesus is I'm going to run and I'm going to hug him and he's going to have to use special powers to disappear because once I get my arms wrapped around him, I'm not letting go. And this is probably how Mary Magdalene felt. So to get into the uh, deeper issues of Mary Magdalene, this was a woman. Uh, we know that Jesus delivered her from demons. In fact, in the TV show, The Chosen, episode one, Mary Magdalene is the main character and she's possessed and people try to expel the demons and they cannot, the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus in particular, the one that Jesus is going to talk to in John chapter three. And then Jesus approaches her. And when Jesus says her name, she's going by a different name, but when Jesus says her name, Mary, it drives out the demon. And Mary wakes up once again to real life, Mary Magdalene, and she's now herself again. And that's where we first meet Jesus in the show. And it's this beautiful scene where Mary Magdalene is free now. Mary Magdalene recovers her true self, and it's with Jesus calling her by name. That's a great thing to just meditate on right there. We could do whole long meditations on just meeting Jesus and him calling you by your name and knowing you at an intimate level, knowing your name, calling your name and how that frees you from anything that's holding you back, how that takes you to a much better place, a place of love and joy and peace. And so if this is what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene at the beginning, here he's doing it again. She's distraught. Let's talk about the negativity now that Mary Magdalene has been feeling. Jesus loved her. Jesus, I mean, once again, her background. All right. She's possessed. Was she also the prostitute? Because there's different stories about women coming into Jesus uh, when he's sitting there in the home there. And they, there's a woman that cries on his feet and, and washes her, his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Well, in one passage, it's Mary Magdalene. In another passage, it's the prostitute. And in another passage, it's Mary of Bethany. So some people think, well, that was just a common thing that happened over and over, whereas other people say, no, it's all the same person. Uh, it was one story. And I guess we'll never know in this life, was it one story or was it many stories? But a lot of people believe in the tradition and the history of the church that that was Mary Magdalene, you know, and she was a prostitute and she 
uh, confessed her sins to Jesus and did the whole foot thing, and which is also a sign of intimacy. I had talked about this recently. And so my point in saying all that, regardless of all the details, exactly how they happen in history, Mary Magdalene had so much to be thankful for with Jesus. She had so many reasons to love him. He restored her to her dignity. He expelled her demons. He forgave her sins. And then she became his number one follower. And you could guarantee there was a tender love between them. Of course, there's Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, Ron Howard. They want to make it into this story where the two of them are shacking up or something. What a horrible thing to make it into that. And it's based on uh, different things that people have said over the ages about Mary Magdalene having Jesus's baby, whatever. I'm embarrassed to even mention it, but it's one of these things we've had to debunk recently. What people struggle to understand is what Jesus is actually doing for Mary Magdalene and so many other people, male and female, in his tenderness, his love for them his reaching out to them, his forgiving them. He is restoring their dignity and he's giving them fatherly love, a fatherly love that they were lacking. It's fatherly in the heavenly sense and it's fatherly in the earthly sense. Jesus affirms them. Jesus builds them up. This is what we're called to do. Pope John Paul talked a great deal in his Theology of the Body about how everybody in the world has mother wounds and father wounds. And as Christians, we're either male or female, and we're called to use our masculinity or femininity to love others. And a great example of that is, let's just say, like for me, you know, I love working in schools, and there's a lot of kids that are hurting because they have father wounds. And I'm a man, and I can love them in a fatherly way. I can give them attention. I can give them some mentoring, some coaching. I can build them up. Just sit and listen to them. Ask them their opinion. And they're receiving fatherly love by my doing that. And then there's results that come from that. They, it builds them up. They feel better about themselves. They grow in confidence. And I feel like this is so much a part of my calling as a man is to give that fatherly love to those that haven't had it, those that need it. So this is what Jesus does. Jesus does this in particular for Mary Magdalene. And so she is not afraid. All the, the, these big, strong men that were fishermen or whatever, or crying like babies and hiding in the upper room. They're not with Jesus as he goes to his cross. They're scared to death. Mary Magdalene could care less because she leads with her heart. Mary follows him to the cross. Mary is brave. Mary stays with him and with the mother of Jesus, Mary, the whole time, and with St. John. She's there, even though St. John fled at first. They're there. They stay with Jesus. Mary Magdalene is just, like I say, leading with her heart. Her heart longs for Jesus on the cross. It weeps when Jesus dies. It still longs for his presence. So what is she doing? She's visiting the tomb. She's holding vigil. Does she believe his words that he will rise again? I hope she does. I think she does. I mean, the apostles seem to have their doubts. And we don't see them having a vigil at the tomb. Maybe they visited. Who knows? Maybe they're still scared in the upper room. They're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which they don't even fully know about yet, even though Jesus promised the Spirit. Eventually, they will regain full courage, as if Jesus were still with them, because he is with them through the Holy Spirit and in other ways. But 
Mary Magdalene, despite all that, despite the fact that Pentecost hadn't happened yet, she's staying right there. She's keeping vigil at the tomb. So she goes to the tomb early in the morning and finds it empty. Hopefully within her, there is some excitement like, okay, maybe he's risen, but it shows that she is upset. Oh no, Jesus's body is gone. Where is he? She is hypervigilant for anything that applies to Jesus, anything that has to do with Jesus. And it doesn't take Jesus long to reveal himself. And Mary Magdalene is the first officially recorded person that Jesus has appeared to. And I made the point the other day that, well, if the tomb was already empty, chances are Jesus went to see somebody else first. He's not just wandering around the streets. Chances are he went to see his mother. Chances are, since her faith and hope were so strong, she gave him some clothes, made him a meal. She was waiting for him because she knew he would rise again. He had said he would, so she was ready for it. Mary Magdalene, she's there at the tomb. She sees the empty tomb. She encounters Jesus. And now I just think this is such a good point to meditate with. The joy in her heart. When we consider what God has done for us. I mean, consider the people that you love. They're a gift from him. Consider the forgiveness you've received. Consider what Jesus did for you and for me. When we truly consider how grateful we should be to Almighty God, then if we watch a movie like The Passion of the Christ, we should be crying our eyes out. I'm not telling you what to do with your emotions, but we should be feeling pain and loss to know what Jesus endured for us. It should come up once in a while in prayer that we feel sorrow and sadness for what he did for us and how he was so horribly treated. And if we're truly leading with our hearts, as Mary Magdalene did, then we should be so overjoyed at the resurrection. Easter Sunday, and of course, days like Christmas and other days, it shouldn't just be like, oh good, the Easter bunny brought me some eggs. Oh good, I get to wear my hat, my new hat for springtime. Oh, good, it's a nice day today. Oh, good, we're going to breakfast and going to have some nice food. There should be an overflowing joy flowing out of our hearts because Jesus is risen. That means you and I get to rise. But even more, you know, or at least primarily, it means all that pain that he endured, ultimately taking him to death and to hell, it's gone. And now Jesus is in his glory. In heaven, we're going to see God face to face, and we're going to rejoice to see his glory. We're going to be in glory only because he's in glory. We're going to, I mean, think about a time when you've congratulated somebody you love on something that they did well. You know, maybe your kid wins a trophy for sports and you get so excited because, hey, you know, that's my kid. Well, this is my God. This is my creator. This is the one who died on a cross for me. And now he's risen from the dead. He didn't just rise from the dead. He created a photographic image of himself. I was just reading something today about how the amount of energy that it would, that would be needed to produce the image of Jesus on the Shroud of Turin is equivalent to that of a nuclear blast. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my goodness. 
and something about and I read this a couple of years ago the stone being rolled away from the tomb we always imagine it as this little tiny stone that somebody could have just easily rolled to the side but no it was a really big stone very awkward nothing clean cut about it and it took horses to drag it into place and now in an instant while the guards are asleep it's being flung to the other side of the courtyard no horses involved there nothing on earth God Almighty flung that stone away from the tomb. He said, I'm back. And a nuclear blast would have created his image. And they said, too, the way that the image is on the cloth, he would have had to have been floating in air when it happened. So Jesus came out of that tomb like there was no tomorrow. And uh, anyway, we should be joyful. We should be feeling it. We should be, you know, so excited to celebrate the resurrection. And if we're not... Okay, we need to work on our hearts. Because think about the things we get excited about. We get excited when, uh, you know, we're watching a two-hour movie and the, and the, the, the two love interests finally uh, come together, like one of those Hallmark movies. We get excited about that. We're sitting there bawling, right? But we're not going to cry. We're not going to get excited about what Jesus is doing for us. These are things we need to think about. Where is my heart? Mary Magdalene was delivered from demons and forgiven sins. Well, we've been forgiven a lot of sins too. Maybe some people out there have actually been delivered from demons as well. Did we experience the sadness and are we experiencing now the joy of the resurrection? And the fact that we are going to rise again, we are going to, if we continue to follow, we're going to go to heaven with him. We're going to see him face to face. And we have the opportunity every single day to spend time in prayer with Jesus, to see him face to face in the Eucharist, to spend time in adoration. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. And there's so much joy in that. And you know what? He is overjoyed to be with us. This is another thing that we often don't see in his proper perspective. <laughs> we, I, I think a lot of this has to do with the negativity that so much of, so many of us grew up with thinking there's God's always mad at me because I'm always sinning. I mean, is he offended by our sins? Yes. Are we always sinning? Yes. But the reality is his love is bigger than all that. So when he sees you come into the chapel or even whatever, whatever, when he sees you wake up in the morning, whatever it might be, but especially when we make the effort towards him, he's overjoyed. He's experiencing glory just because he's looking at us. You know that feeling you get when you look at your newborn child or your newborn grandchild? He looks at us with so much more joy, so much more glory. He is overwhelmed at his creations. So once again, things to be putting into perspective. I love the story of Mary Magdalene. I get choked up every time I read it and think about it because that's me. It should be me. I've been delivered from so much. I've been given so much. And now Jesus is risen. And Jesus is interested in me. And Jesus wants to reveal himself to me, and he wants me to be with him face to face in heaven for all eternity. So we ask our Lord to keep pumping up our hearts, keep, in, you know, just getting us more and more excited at the true reality that we have a God that loves us. He came to earth to rescue us, and now he has risen. He has conquered sin and death, and we have every reason to rejoice. Hope everybody has a great day. God bless.